perspective is super important in the world that we live in today. There's a lot of darkness and there's a lot of evil out there, but there's just as much good and just as much positivity and just as many people that want to see you thrive and be successful. So like I want to like make sure I focus on those things and be joyful and be grateful and bring those those things into the world. Thank you for tuning in to the Mile 40 podcast. I am Beshoy Tadros, the author of Break Barriers and Audacious, both of which are sold on Amazon. And I invite you to join me as I engage with guests to discuss those bounce back moments that we encounter on our personal journey. Mile 40 is a forum to learn about how athletes, professionals, and leaders of all backgrounds stare down moments in life where the only option is to rise up. The Mile 40 podcast strives to remind listeners that the comeback is always greater than the setback. Welcome back to another episode of the Mile 40 Podcast. Man, I am happy to be here today. Uh, We are progressing along with the winner. Um, If you haven't already, uh, I have a promo code in the show notes for copies of Audacious and uh, Break Barriers. So get in there, get the discount, take advantage of being a Mile 40 listener. Also, if you get a chance, please be sure to hit follow and subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. Uh, Today's guest is a good friend, and that's where I want to start. Today's guest is Simon Lawson. He's a fitness and wellness expert, a master instructor, and a certified personal trainer with over 20 years' experience transforming the lives of his clients through his proprietary method called Best Training. Currently, he's a physical education teacher. Or wait, are we no longer a physical education teacher? No, currently, yeah. Oh, we are? All right. Yeah. Uh, After working in corporate America for several years, his passion for fitness and his desire to live a more fulfilled, purposeful existence led him to the fitness industry. Simon has used his vast knowledge and platform to raise awareness and resources for the underprivileged and to create safe fitness spaces for marginalized persons. (sighs) Simon, thank you for joining me today. Uh, my brother, thank you so much for that lovely introduction, and thank you for having me, man. You got it. You got it. Yeah, man. I I, I lost track. It's been a while, and I, I had that bio, and I know we just met up a couple of weeks ago, and uh, we had talked about a lot of things going on in your life, yeah. and uh, things are always moving at a fast pace for you, my man. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Like I like life to be busy, but not overwhelmingly busy. You know. Um, you know, uh, idle mind is the devil's playground, some might say from back in the day. So you want to stay busy in a good way, but not so busy that you're overwhelmed. Uh, right now, I'm staying busy, like really working on myself, working on a few business things, but really it's uh, about self-development. I know it's that's kind of cliche right, right now, especially around this time of the year where all the resolutions pop out and people try to... Um, transform themselves and renegotiate some dynamics between them and others. But, but this is really the time where I'm, I'm locking in on me because I know I got to fill myself up and really get good at, at being good to me in order to, to make others like feel good. And that's, that's what it's all about. Yeah, man. I mean, that's one thing that's kind of stood out or, or distinguished you from the rest since the time that I have known you. You you walk with a a certain aura of of authenticity where, you know, even in your bio, you know, you, you talk about your own method when it comes to approaching fitness and how you do things. And that's very clear in how you communicate with your audience that um, you're not following a generic formula. You're creating your own formula. Um, and so I, I think that's truly one of the things that's distinguished you. And one of the things that, uh, you know, as, as a friend, um, makes our dialogue just so interesting. Cause I feel like I learn from you whenever I speak to you and, um, I learn beyond, you know, just the, the fundamentals of fitness. I, I learn about what's going on in your head as, as a human and, and what drives you to be a better version of yourself in this industry uh, and with those whom you encounter through the space. For today's episode, I want to dive a little bit into the head of Simon and I want to, we want to learn a little bit about you, um, you know, 
what your background was like and, and how you got to where you are today. Um, so let's just take things back and, and, and kick things off from, um, you know, where are you, where are you from? Where'd you grow up and, and how'd life kick off for you? Uh, that's, uh, those, this is cool stuff, man. I, I like it. Like, uh, this is unscripted folks. So, so, you know, this, so this is making me think a little bit. Um, I'm going to start, I'm going to start back in uh, the very beginning. Um, and, uh, I always say I was raised in the Bronx, but I was bred in Harlem. Right. So I grew up in the South Bronx during a really, really tough time. Um, I know my skin is glowing and I look good because I care about it, but you know, I'm a little older, uh, I'm approaching that, that half century mark now. So I grew up in the South Bronx, um, in the the mid '80s and you know early '90s, we moved to outside of Riverdale, so the Northwest Bronx. Um, when I was a little older, when I was 12 or 13, but I grew up in a super super rough neighborhood, and um, and and like you know that taught me a lot of valuable lessons. You know, um, it taught me how to how to navigate like quote unquote, dangerous situations and how to really be aware of my surroundings and how to recognize that even though folks may not be in a good space or environment doesn't mean that they're bad people, right? And I've carried those lessons with me, I think all throughout my life. Um, my dad and my mom really valued education. So I was, I was really privileged in the sense that even though it wasn't a great neighborhood and we didn't have um, exceptional means. My dad always put a, a super strong emphasis on education. So I was in private schools, Catholic schools my whole life. So I had a bit of an oasis um, growing up. My dad had a candy store in Harlem. So I was being raised in the Bronx, going to school in the Bronx. And then after school, I would work in Harlem. And it was just a different dynamic, still a rough neighborhood, but just a slightly different dynamic. So I got to see um, people in different neighborhoods and see how they were similar and how they were dissimilar. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, people are really the same in the sense that I, I believe most people want to better themselves and most people just want love. Right. Um, so I think that's something that we share, but going back to kind of me, I grew up in the Bronx. My dad put me into this school called St. Augustine's and it became a school for the performing arts. So I was really, I was really fortunate. It was almost like a charter school before there were such things as charter schools. Uh, I had exceptionally talented teachers at my school that specialized in the arts. So it was a school for the performing arts. Each student had to learn music theory. Each student uh, had to learn how to play the piano and each student had to um, choose another instrument of their choice. So as a kid, I was playing three instruments, not exceptionally well, but I was playing three instruments, which was, you know, it's different than most of the kids in my neighborhood, right? Like I had good teachers that cared about my education, right? I had exposure to something different, something new that I really enjoyed and that really challenged me. And I was getting exposure to different worlds. Like we would go downtown to Carnegie Hall and to the Met and to operas. So I was, you know, a black kid from the inner city growing up in uh, the South Bronx, but I had exposure to so many things and I had influence and guidance by people that really cared about my well-being. So it was it was pretty cool. Like as a kid, I was on 60 Minutes, right? Like so, um, because my school was such an oasis, like, you know, they featured it because it was a place of learning and love in this really, really bad neighborhood. So there was there was that kind of dichotomy always. And it, that's always seemed to be a part of my life, that dichotomy where, um, you know, even though I've been in some harsh, bad environments, I've always seen the light and had access to, to love and opportunity. And I, I try to pay that forward, try to pay that forward. So as a I guess going from there, when I was about 12 or 13, my family, just me and my mom and my dad moved to uh, Bailey Avenue, which is um, outside of Riverdale. It's like off of Broadway. So much nicer neighborhood, got away from a lot of the bad stuff, bad influences and the, the, the negative elements. And I 
got into Fordham Prep, which is a really good prep school. It's an all boys school. And again, not the not the perfect place, but definitely a place that focused on education and and turning young men into boys, right? I was blessed to have a strong educational foundation. And that that stays with me. I always, you know, I always think, um, and I put this on Instagram the other day, I put, you know, have a strong foundation in education because I think that's helped me out so much. So I have I have a lot of certs now. I won't go into them, but I have a lot of certs. And I try to stay up to date on my education. I'm always reading. I'm always learning, not just in the fitness world, but just about things that that interest me. Um, because I think you start to regress when you're not a lifelong learner, especially with what we do. Um, there's always new science, new information coming out about the body's health and wellness. So you have to stay up to date. So uh, I know this is kind of long winded, guys, but no, this, is, you're, you're, yeah. this is good, man. I don't I don't want to cut you off. But yeah. first and foremost, yeah. I've known you for a while now. I mean, you, you said it yourself, you aged yourself. I didn't I, I, <laughs> I, I didn't realize that I, I, yeah. I, I thought I thought you and I were the same age. So he is this guy is young and sprighty for, <laughs> for his age. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I think that's a function of good living, man. Like, um, you know, the big wellness guru, guru right now is Peter Atia, right? Yeah, I'm yeah. sure, sure most people, yeah, most people have heard of him. But like, you know, it's all about longevity. And I think we discussed this when we were having lunch. It's not about living a long life. It's about living a long, healthy, good life. And 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 most of the things, I can't say I'm perfect, but most of the things I strive to do, my training, my nutrition is all about like feeling good, looking good, being good, not just now, right? Because, you know, a lot of people are doing things for their bodies right now to look good and feel good. But what are the long-term ramifications, right? You know, you know, a lot of it is genes, right? And thank mom and dad for that. But, you know, you know, you gotta you gotta cut out the things that have been proven to to not not be good for you in the long run. Excessive drinking, you know, overeating of the the bad stuff. I'll leave it as generic as that because people will probably come at me if I tell you what not to eat. But you know, and having smart, balanced programs that don't injure you and like and that you can and that you can maintain and grow with right, and progress. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, before we kind of pick up from there, I want to ask, you talk about your schooling experience now through Fordham Prep. You talk about the dichotomy of the environments that you were kind of placed in between there. It sounds like your parents kept you grounded from day one, but were there any periods throughout that time where perhaps you got involved in in places you shouldn't, shouldn't have been getting involved? Yeah, I mean, a little bit. Like for for the most part, I walked the straight and narrow. My dad was a military guy, so like um he was a pretty strict disciplinarian, right? Sometimes excessively, like you know, this is old school, a little in my in my opinion, right? When I look back in retrospect, a little too physical with the the um with the discipline, right? Um and and not enough explanations of like, you know, why things um, are the way they are, right? So, you know, I never really rebelled, um, but I had a few instances in my life that, that you know, changed me. I, I lost some friends like really early. Like I told you, I grew up in the, the South Bronx. I, um, I my, my brother's good friend, uh, my brother's six years older than me, so I guess Andre, I'm going to refer to as Black because everybody called him Black. That was his nickname. You know, he got shot when uh, I think I was about eight or nine. And, like, this was a time where, like, a lot of folks were were falling victim to the crack ep- epidemic and, like, the cops didn't really care about these impoverished neighborhoods. I, I saw this kid, and I'm, like, eight or nine and he's got to be 14. I saw this kid sit out in the street for like like 6 or 7 hours uncovered like in his own blood, right? And he was a good kid, like it was just an accidental shooting. Um but that was the neighborhood, right? So like 
you know, as a kid, I understood that being in a, a bad neighborhood, anything can happen. My mom and my dad separated when I was 12 or 13. Um, so my mom actually left uh, and she left without warning and I didn't know where she went. So, so that, that definitely changed me. That definitely affected me. And I didn't talk about that to anyone. I don't think I've ever said that, right? Like I've never really said that. I have a great relationship with my mother now. We haven't discussed a lot of things. She was protecting herself and she was getting out of a situation with my father who wasn't the worst person, but he wasn't really emotionally available and he was verbally abusive. So she was getting out of that situation and she needed something different. And, uh, and I'm the youngest of a bunch of children. So it was just me, my mom and my dad in the house at the time. And when my mom left, it was just me and my dad. So that, that also changed me. That affected me. I became, the best thing that came out of that was I became very self-reliant, right? And I learned how to, to navigate the world on my own, right? Which has which really helped me, right? Like uh, in, a, in a lot of situations. I, in any situation before I go for help, and this might be a detriment sometimes, I'll try to figure things out myself because I've been in situations where I know I needed to figure things out myself, right? Um, so you ask if I didn't walk or if I got into some situations that I shouldn't have been in. Not really, but I had some things that, that really affected me mentally. And um, I think it, it, it affected the way that I, um, I've navigated situations and maybe it, it uh, prevented me from developing like into a, a more, I guess, open, caring, nurturing and outgoing person younger and in my younger years right so i think those those events and i also um i lost my my cousin pretty early i there was a period i remember this visit vividly um you know there was there was something called ice grilling right like which is like staring at somebody and trying to be tough and like and i guess like when a lot of kids are coming of age 13 14 15 especially in rougher neighborhoods um you know, you ice grill, you try to pretend you're tough. And um, I lost my, my good cousin, Dwayne, and, uh, in a car accident. Um, and I remember I didn't, I didn't smile. I didn't talk for like a month or two. And uh, I was at Fordham Prep at the time. And everybody thought, you know, my friends thought that I was, you know, just trying to act tough or be cool or whatever. But I couldn't express, I didn't have um, the vocabulary and the ability to, to really talk about what was going on, which was like, you know, I was hurting as a kid because this, this guy that I viewed as a brother to me had been, had been killed, right, um, kind of suddenly. Uh, so, so, yeah. So I think um, as far as like getting into some bad situations, like doing anything stupid, nah, never. Like I never, like... A lot of guys that I know like sold drugs or like did illegal things like that. Never, I was, I wanted to play football. I was focused on that. Um, you know, I was an athlete. I was a pretty good student, right? Um, I wasn't the best student, but I was a pretty damn good student. And I really tried hard to, um, to, to be a good student, right? Cause I, I wanted to prove, to prove to myself that I belonged at Fordham Prep which was um, a majority, a predominantly white school. And the friends that I had there were also like high achievers. So I was, I was in a group where we were athletes and we were trying to do well in school. So that was, that was kind of my compass. Can you um, give us a sense of what that was like? Now, now I'm trying to do the math. Are we talking about the 90s or late 80s? Yeah, we're talking about the 90s. I graduated high school in 1993. Okay. Right? So graduated, 93. Yeah, I graduated high school in 1993. So I went into Fordham Prep in 1989, right? So this is, I mean, like to put this in hip hop terms, right? Like, so people can relate in, in that way. I think music is a universal thing. It's like, it's like run DMC back in the days, like that LL Cool J, like, 
like that kind of old school hip hop, like early nineties hip hop, like um like almost pre Jay Z and like pre Biggie, right uh, right around that time. Yep. So I went to a Catholic high school out on Long Island, uh, two thousand one to two thousand five, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, that's pre- it was a predominantly white high school, uh, but um, you know the, the black kids that were there. Uh, a lot of them played sports. Uh, football predominantly was one of the, the main sports. But, you know, I say this because you brought it up. I do remember that, it, you know, they stood out like in a predominantly white Catholic high school. Uh, and this is 10 years after you graduated. And so, and I know in speaking to them, you know, post high school and adult years, like when you're going through it, you don't realize what they're going through. And 10 years later, now they were like, oh yeah, like that, that was, that was very isolating. Like that was, that was pretty isolating and like, you know, and, um, I'm, I'm trying now to kind of go 10 years behind that where you were and try to figure out the dynamic there. Um, and, um, what you may have had to have dealt with from that perspective. The, the school for the most part was good, but I think, you know, there was no like diversity equity and inclusion yeah. trainings for anybody back in the days like that right like um you know and i think people in general will will gravitate towards groups that make them feel comfortable right um so a lot of the black kids the african american kids would sit together and stick together we had uh certain cultural similarities right and certain shared interests and that's the same thing for the Italian kids, for the Irish kids, uh, for the um, for the Czech kids, for the Slavic kids. But the thing is, we're visually different than those guys, right? Like, so I remember there was something called the black table, and I always like thought about this. I'm like, there's a million white tables out there, like, but nobody calls them the white table. And our dean, Mr. Bot, one time, our, our uh, this is just to give you context, our dean. Uh, Mr. Bot came up and it's like, hey, hey, you guys break it up. And I like, I'm like, we were just sitting down having lunch. Like we weren't playing around. We weren't being loud. And, and he was like, break it up. And I was like, you know, like in my mind, I'm like, break what up? And then, and then like to top it off, right. You know, at, at the time I know what's going on. I'm like, you know, it's a bunch of black guys together, whatever, like, I'll go sit with some of my my other friends because you know, in school we had friends of various ethnicities and cultures. But when you came to lunch, that was your time to chill, right? If you didn't, if you knew a friend and you didn't have class with them, this was your time to get together and chill. But he was like, "Hey, Sammy, go sit at that table." He was talking to me, and, I, and my friends just bust out laughing, right? Like because first of all, he didn't know who I was, right? Like so, it shows that there was a lack of of caring and an interest to actually know me as a person, as a student, right? Um, but he just knew like it was a, a group of black kids there. But like the school, the school was phenomenal, right? Like those are those are some isolated incidents, right? Like as far as I think as far as the what's most important is the the student body, I think at a place, right? Like there's a lot of things that come into play, but I think the student body was was um, one in which like, you know, you were friends with almost everybody. You had classes with folks, especially if you played sports, right? Like there's everybody on every sports team. And I think that's the great thing about sports, right? Like, um, you know, when people say it's just a game, I played football at, at various levels. And I know it's like more than a game, right? Like it teaches you discipline, teaches you teamwork and it also teaches you the similarities between like various ethnicities and sexes, right? Like, you know, competition is competition, right? And like working working in a team format is is um is a great skill to have, right? So since I had teammates of various ethnicities and all my friends had teammates of various ethnicities, we went on trips together. There was um there was a a retreat called Emmaus where we would go and like spend time with folks. And, you know, I, I love, I loved my experience at Fordham. It wasn't perfect by any means, but I, I really liked my experience at Fordham. Yeah. Yeah. 
No, I hear that. And I, I want to make sure that I call out the fact that, um, same, I mean, like it, it was the same kind of thing, but it was just those, you don't want, you don't walk through a, a person's shoes. So you don't know what they go through. And mm. that, that's the important thing that I want to call out here is that, um, you know, being in, in the minority sometimes is overlooked with regards to how it could impact you. Um, even if the experience is smooth sailing, but how yeah. it could impact you in other areas of life later on, even, um, when you look around and you're like, Oh, like, you know, there aren't many people here that look like me. Yeah. Yeah. Like being, being the one is a real phenomenon. And I think we talked about that too, right? Like I've been in, in many situations, right? Like from corporate America working at Marshall McLennan and I had an um, internship at Ernst & Young being like one of the few or the one, right? It plays on your psyche. Like, um, and no one can deny that. Like if you're of a, of another ethnicity, like you might not be able to recognize that because you haven't been the one, but I guarantee if you go into any place, right, and you're the one guy wearing red shoes, right, in a sea of <laughs> of, of runners and everybody has on black shoes, you're going to feel some kind of way, right? Like, you know, like you're going to feel some kind of way about that, right? Like, and whether those thoughts are real or not, whether people see you how you think they see you or or not is irrelevant, right? That is irrelevant. The the thing that's important is that you have these feelings, and those feelings should never be um, dismissed or unvalidated, right? Yeah, no, you're spot on, my friend. Um, there are a couple different directions that we can take this. I do want to ask: after your parents split up, you said you were like 12, 13 when that happened. Yeah. Um, where were your siblings at the time? So my siblings were out the house already. My brother's six years older than me. My sister's um, eight years older than me. And then my eldest sister is 10 years older than me. So I was the only one remaining in the house. Got it. Got it. That's why they were all, they were all yeah. at the house at that point. Got yeah. it. Um, and how much did that split, you know, I guess, kind of mess with your psyche at that point? Because you're, you're at a critical juncture now, right? You're going into high school and you talk about playing football. You talk about the impact of football and with regards to what it in, you know incorporated in you with, with regards to discipline, you know, turning you from a boy into a man. You said your father was had a military background. And I'm trying to put the pieces together now with regards to uh, how much of sport was fun, how much of it was an escape. I think I think it's both, right? Like I have football practice or track practice like every day. And if I wasn't doing that, I was uh, playing basketball after school, playing ping pong after school. Um, and uh, and yeah, I, and I loved it, right? Like, so I, I don't think I particularly thought of it as an escape. Like I don't want to get, want to be home or anything like that. But, you know, it definitely provided a uh quote unquote safe space and a reprieve for me right and and an outlet right and an outlet like i was uh i I think like a lot of kids are like angry right like you know i work with i work with kids and and if they're not angry i think it's just a period of transition where we're all trying to find ourselves and trying to find our places like right after puberty and we're trying to fit in with in our in a, within our social networks and like we're thinking about what what our next steps are and things have changed we've gotten out of grammar school and elementary school and we have a new friend set so like i think in my case like i loved i loved playing football and i loved sports in general and i loved i loved to compete even if i wasn't good at something i still love to compete I still love to compete because, you know, it was a way of me being with my friends and it was a way of me, me being healthy. I was always health conscious. Like even as a little kid, I was, I was health conscious. So like it was a, a way for me to, to incorporate all the good things in my life. What, what are you most self-conscious about? I said health conscious, but oh, I'll tell you my, but I'll tell you my self-conscious story. This is the first time I ever did push-ups. right? This is a, a cool story. I was uh, friends with um, like the popular kids in my elementary and grade school, and we had to we had to go and change for something, maybe for recess. And it was Rodney, it was me, Rodney, and Chris. And uh, 
I went into the bathroom and they came into the bathroom with me because we all had to change. And I took off my shirt um, to to change into my t-shirt, I think, because this is Catholic school at the time. So we have on a tie and we have on a button down shirt, right? Like in slack. So I took off my shirt so we could do it. And uh, and then I heard like Rodney or Chris say, oh, ooh, ooh, what's that? And then I looked down. So I'm thinking it's like a roach or a rat or something. I'm like, what? And they say, what's that? And they point to my belly, right? Mm. <laughs> so I was chubby at the time, but I never, I didn't have any self-awareness of it, right? Like, and I was like, what? You're like, yeah, I kind of brushed it off, right? And then I, you know, as the first time I became body conscious and aware, right? Like, so I'm like, oh, in retrospect, I'm like body shaming, <laughs> right? Wow, like, yeah. In retrospect, I'm like body shaming. But I remember that day and I don't know how I got the idea, like, I looked down, I didn't think much of it, right? Like I wasn't, I wasn't super fat, but I was chubby. I was, I shopped in what they call the husky section at, <laughs> at different places, right? So I went, um, I don't know if I told you this before, but my dad had a candy store. So, you know, I was heavy on the candy and like- I you know, had to I, low on the candy after that. Yeah, right. So like, uh, and like, I was kind of sedentary at times too, because I would go and work in a candy shop all the time. So I remember that day when that happened, I went home. There was a little red stool that we had in the house. I started doing push-ups off of that. And I started doing dips off of that. I was doing squats off of that. I had to be like, this had to be maybe sixth grade or so. And I don't know where or how I knew how to do these things, right? I might've seen them in a movie or a magazine, but I knew like exercise, I quoted exercise to to losing my stomach. And I also, I think, you know, in retrospect, I think I quoted, I equated that to, to being accepted by friends as well. Right. Like, you know, like these were my good friends and they were just cracking jokes, but I'm like, you know, this is something that's separating us. Right. So, so wow, you bring up, you bring up some really good points there. I want to ask, when did you determine that football was going to be the path forward? Because I want to get into that really quick because, you know, you mentioned playing at, at various levels. We got some Bills fans that listen to this episode. So we got we to gotta drop that in there really quick. Yeah. But let, let's talk about when you decided football was the sport of choice. You know what? I was, I was decent at football. I wasn't great, but I was always determined and like a good athlete, right? So I was always determined and like a super good athlete. But I wasn't, you know, I had natural ability but like I wasn't exceptional. I wasn't the guy that was being recruited by Florida State, Ohio State. I think I just really liked it and I really enjoyed it. And I was kind of obsessed with it too. Um, and then when I got to college, right, like they they gave me a shot and I uh, I did some I did some good things. What, what position did you play? I played wide receiver, slot back, right? Got so it. like this is a time before there's a famous Jet, Wayne Corbett, yep. um, who played for the Jets, and he was a smaller guy. I'm not super tall. I'm 5'10", uh, but I was always pretty fast. And me and my friend Jamal, I was lucky. I was lucky because I had a friend group from Fordham that went to um, to Buffalo with me. So I went to University of Buffalo, um, and I had a friend group. And, uh, and one of my friends, Jamal, also played football with me. and um, and he was like great support and he was uh you know he was just there and and i think we supported one another right and we believed in in one another and um and yeah and and i think that's it so like to answer your question i don't know if there was ever a time where i was like oh it was always a time where i was like i want to play pro football right like you know there was uh, there was many a times where i was like I want to play pro football. Um, I was, I was assessing my skills and I was looking at what other like high schoolers that were really good could do. And then when I got to college, I was looking at like what really good college players could do and what the NFL guys could do. And I was just trying to see, I was trying to be strategic about it and say like, you know, what do I have that's similar to that? And what do I have that's not similar to that? And how can I, how can I kind of fill in the gaps, right? Like what might get me there? I was never like, I was never good enough where I was like, I'm definitely going to play pro football, right? Like, you know, and I was like, 
And I guess I was a little reluctant to to even believe that that I could do it. Like I knew I wanted to do it and I knew like it was a possibility, right? I don't know if I I thought it was like a probability. So you mentioned, you know, you'd look around and you'd kind of identify your strengths and your weaknesses relative yeah. to the co- competition. Just yeah. for just for fun, what was your biggest strength? What was your biggest weakness? My hands, I could I could catch. I could catch anything, man. Like <laughs> like if you threw it next to me, like I could I could snag the ball. Like I had I had really good hands, man. Like my my coach, my college coach he said, you have the softest hands. It's like, you have some of the softest hands I've ever seen. And that's just not physically soft, man. It just means like, you know, some receivers are body catchers and some receivers can catch with their hands and like bring things in. And then some receivers can guide the ball in. And if you watch, you watch pro football, like there's certain guys that, that will guide the ball in and will take the ball with them. And I could take the ball with me, right? Like, so like it was never, it was never any noise. Like when I would practice with with my my QB at the time, like you know, my thing was like I didn't want to hear a ball hit my hands at any time, right? Like whether it be like a slant route or a stop and go, I wanted to like when I caught the ball, I wanted it to feel natural, and I didn't want to. I wanted it to feel like the ball was being drawn to me and I didn't want to hear anything. Those were like my objectives, right? Like, cause I knew that's, that's what I was really good at. Um, and I was, I was quick. I was not blazing fast. I was quick, right? So I can make good cuts, good moves. And I was smart. Um, I knew how to find the soft areas of the field, right? So as a receiver, um, you got to find the soft areas of the field because they play zone. Uh, on the highest levels and you got to know where opponents are not and you got to get to those areas. And I can sense that I had a good football sense and I can read zones pretty well. And I think my last strength was I would outwork anybody, right? Like, you know, like, uh, and my, my work ethic is, I think my work ethic is unquestioned, right? Like I'll, I'll still be like the last guy in the gym, like to this day, and uh, I remember um, one time showed up late for practice. I don't know why, like, but it was a bunch of guys. I think they they swindled us. I think they told us the wrong time on purpose. But it was like like eighteen guys that showed up late for practice, which never happens. Uh, oh, I think one of the coaches made a mistake. I was like, I'm pretty sure I was supposed to be here at this time. But you know, like, uh, they they have these workout sessions where they'll try to drop you. They'll try to make you quit if you, you do something wrong. Right. Like, so I, I don't remember what it was. It was like, like, it was like 40 minutes straight with the bear, bear crawls or something like that. Right. Like, and, and guys weren't quit. Nobody's going to quit. Right. Like, cause guys are on scholarship and you know, that's what you want to do. But guys had tapped out. Right. Like, they're fucking puking on themselves <laughs> and like they had tapped out like it's like they said like things like i can't do this i'm not going i'm not doing this like like there's a lot of fuck yous going on but i remember that i was like i'm not you know my objective was just to last longer than everybody else during this <laughs> during this terrible workout so like you know and i think that got me some that got me some points because this was pretty on pretty early in my career If you know me, you know that I like to look good and feel good. As an endurance athlete who trains daily, I need my wardrobe to fit the mold. Roan creates performance-driven clothing for your active lifestyle. Each piece is designed for versatility and made with integrity to outfit you for an active life lived on your own terms. The Roan promise is to help you move forever forward. Use code MILE40 for 20% off online and in-store for new customers only. Visit www.rhone.com, that's Roan spelled R-H-O-N-E, or find your local store and move forever forward starting today. You know, that that's so interesting um, because I, I think that lesson goes to a lot of things in life, right? Like where in the landscape of 
your career and the landscape of sports and the landscape of um, a lot of things that we want to accomplish in life, a lot of times it's just about getting the mindset to understand that it's just about being mentally strong enough to outlast everybody else. Um, and you know, it's, it's like, in a way it's like an endurance muscle that you build over time, uh, through different experiences. Um, that that's been my, my experience with it. I mean, like just to use like kind of like a really silly example with podcasts, they say that like a very high percentage of podcasts fail after like episode three and of the remaining 90% of those fail after episode 20. And the reason for that is because people just don't have the endurance to like make it past episode, whatever, whatever the number is. And, and I think that's a, just a, a skill that could apply to so many different things in life where if people take a step back and realize, you know, you don't have to go so hard during those bear crawls. You have to bear crawl just hard enough to outlast everybody else, but you don't need to be the fastest bear crawler out there, um, on that field. Um, and that's what I think, um, you know, is a very, it's a bigger lesson that kind of transcends the experience. Yeah, for sure, man. You gotta, you gotta find a way to keep showing up and stay in the game. It's like, you know, it's cliche, but life is a marathon, right? Like, and if you can, if you can last, right? Like very few people are winning the marathon, right? Very, it's one guy that wins. Only one guy that that wins the marathon is. is and sometimes like, he wins it again. So like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. He's probably gonna win it a couple of times. Yeah, right? yeah. Uh, and right. he's probably from a certain demographic region uh, across the world, right? So, like, you're already at a disadvantage. But if you can last in that marathon, man, you're still in, like, the 1% of the world, right? Like, so there's only one guy that wins. But, like, the rest of the folks out there that have lasted, they're doing something remarkable. Because what is it? Like, only 1.5 or 2% of people actually have completed a marathon. I think it's some 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 crazy stat like that. Yeah, no, I think you're you're spot on with that. Um, we touched on a lot of good things, and we haven't even hit on your adult life yet. So we're going to kind yeah. of speed through this a little yeah. bit with regards to now uh, uncovering a little bit about what happened uh, post college. So just quickly yeah. give us the biographical steps post college, and I'll stop you with uh, with a couple questions. Yeah, man. So post college, uh, I don't know. I feel like I want to work my way. Yeah, I guess. We'll, we'll go or however you want to answer it as, yeah. as you feel comfortable. Yeah. Um, I think I, I, I like to talk about like the most pivotal stuff. Like I think post-college, right. Um, um, where I am today right now is, um, my, I'll talk about this. So I work with, uh, I work at an all girls school, um, in New York and I made a, a conscious decision to do that because my mom adopted a, uh, a girl and a boy when I was about, I would say about 28 to 30. And, uh, and the state took my, adopted sister, my adopted um, brother from my family um, for bogus reasons. And and they were both in a pretty bad place. Uh, they come from very traumatic situations where their mother had abused them and had abused drugs and their families really didn't take care of them that well. So, you know, my mom gave him a great opportunity and, uh, you know, and the state took him away and actually, you know, did some bad things to my mom, accused my mom of things. We had to go through like a lethal, uh, a lengthy legal process, right. To, to clear her name and make sure she didn't have a record. Um, but, um, you know, my adopted sister, because uh, you have to realize she's older now. She has some mental problems and she actually tried to 
commit suicide and tried to kill one of her children while she did it. Right. So tried to kill she, one of her own children. Yeah. Tried to kill one of her own children. Right. So she, um, tried to jump from, uh, the terrace or the fire, what do you call it? The fire escape from a building. Yeah. Luckily the child survived and she survived. Both of them were pretty, um, badly beat up. So, where I am today is because, you know, at one time, my mother gave someone an opportunity, right, out of the kindness of her heart, and due to to a bad situation, bad circumstance, the opportunity was taken away. And I think that, you know, if if things had been changed, she could have made an impactful difference in this young girl's life, right? And I want. I want at this time to to know that I'm not only like living in my passion and purpose and helping people in the health, but making a concerted effort, a focused effort to help young girls, right? At this time, right? Um, help them physically, help them mentally, and be a, a ally for young women in any way that I can, right? Um, so yeah, that's where I'm at right now. So that's why I, I chose when I had an opportunity, I jumped at it to work at uh, all girls school with young women, right? Um, the, I guess like adult life, um, I'm going to blaze through this. No, uh, I, I was, it, listen, man, yeah. thank you. Thank you for, re <laughs> thank you for redirecting the question because yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that experience in and of itself just says so much uh, about who you are and how you show up um, and how you prioritize things. Um, and, you know, maybe let me, let me rephrase the question as opposed to kind of asking about your career trajectory and, and how you get to where you are right now. Uh, you know, clearly that was a very pivotal part or experience that you lived through in your adult life. Were there any other experiences in your adult life that helped kind of shape you to shape you to where you are right now um, that you want to speak to? I think this, this is um, something that affected like a lot of folks, but um, um, September 11th, actually, right. Like uh, I was, I was at a school called Chubb, which um, is basically like a computer training school. So I've already graduated from Buffalo, but I have an interest in computers now. And, um, creating websites. And this school was across the street from the World Trade Center. And I was going there at the time. Um, I wasn't, I, I didn't have class that day or the day before. So I was nowhere near the site, but I was really familiar with the site, right? Um, at this time, I'm working for, I had left, you know, before this, I worked at Ernst Young and I worked at Marshall McLennan. And now I'm working at in a nonprofit called the College Board, right? And the College Board was situated on 42nd Street, and we shared the same building with Fox News, the good Fox News, like the local Fox News, right? And uh, I just remember, I remember uh, going into work that day, and um, you know, I arrived at work about 9:05 or so, and then you know, my my boss at the time, Tom, is you know, distraught and he has like this weird look on his face. I hadn't seen the news before I left home. So he, he kind of briefs me on what's happened. We all go to Fox News and they have a bunch of TVs in the lobby, right? And we watch it, right? So, you know, I think things affect people differently, right? Um, but I, I stood there and I watched that and I wrote and I wrote something. I went back to my little cubicle at the time. And, and I wrote, life as we know it will be forever changed from this day forward. Don't be the same person you were, right? And I wrote that to myself and, and I, I carry those words with me in my heart every day, right? Um, so knowing that you know, knowing that life 
I've, I've, and before this, I've seen like, you know, unfortunately, I've seen a lot of friends pass. I have friends at Fordham, like two good friends at Fordham that were killed, um, Lamar and Najee Ra, um, rest in peace. Um, growing up as a kid, I had friends that passed, I had family that passed. So, you know, the loss, it was nothing new to me. But it was just something about that day, that massive amount of loss. And like, um, and I guess me being a young man, I had I had made the a conscious decision to get out of the finance world and work for a not-for-profit. Um, and like, I had, I was trying to come into my moral own at the time. And, uh, and you know, I think just experiencing that much collective loss as a community, right, made me really take take ownership of who I am and what I want to be and like try to live uh uncompromisingly in my in my pursuit of like being me. Like so I've I think I've always been a little bit different in in that regard. Like I, I haven't followed like the the traditional path that a lot of folks might might follow. Like yeah, you know, like uh I had a very good job working in in finance, right? Like, but that wasn't for me. I um I chose to go back and get like an undergraduate degree um because it was something that I really wanted to do and and I like doing computer science. And I was like, I think it's more practical than trying to pursue something else, right? Um and uh and when and when I wasn't happy at at my at my present job, you know, I had fitness and I was like, you know, I'm going to pour myself in a fitness. Uh, and, and I loved it. And, and I was like, okay, I'm not making much money right now, but I really, really like this. Right. And, um, and, you know, like, I think, I think a lot of it has just been about like being true to myself and like kind of being like authentic about what I need. And I like, I like things, right? Like, and, uh, I like nice things, but I know the difference between my wants and my needs. And I think that's where, I think that's really helped me to, to be authentic and navigate and live a life where, where I, I feel fulfilled in my purpose and I don't feel like I lack anything that I might not have. Right. So even though I might not have certain things, I don't feel lack. Yeah. Amen to that, man. I mean, you know, to kind of summarize this all together, um, you know, you, you grew up in a situation where you probably could have gotten in a lot more trouble than you did, but you always kept your head on straight, you know, thankfully, you know, to the role that your parents played in your life. Um, you know, you had seen some darkness, you, you talk about, you know, some of the, the graphic um, things that you've seen uh, with regards to the truth is like, you could have been, you could have been right there. That could have been you. And, and yeah, yeah, for and sure. Like I, this, um, yeah. And I've been in, I've been in situations like, you know, where I was really close to some, to some bad things, right? Like really, I mean, like really, really, close to some bad things right like so like i could have been been that person that yeah so you had a front row seat and then you know you you had to to navigate um you know high school and and you talk about coming to your own and and being independent for better or for worse with regards to how you navigated some decisions from there on um and then you know walking us through the power of of the story behind your mother and, and, and the adoption and, and, you know, the, the lessons of, of that whole, uh, situation, you've picked up so many pieces of your life that have shaped your perspective and it's clearly evident. And so, you know, to round things out and to kind of, to close up for today, you know, based on where you are in life today, what are the three most important things to you right now? Um, you know, as you walk through life. I think the three most important things are um you touched on this earlier, right? Like um being being my best, right? And a lot of people will say that and not know what that really means because they have no way of measuring it, 
right? Like, so, so for me, my best is my best. I, I know, I know what my best is because I have certain, uh, certain yardsticks and certain measurements, right? So I have a best for, for physicality, right? Like I know what I can run a mile in, right? I know what I can lift it. Uh, a certain amount of weights and I know how many pushups I can do in a minute. I know how many pull-ups I can do. I'm broken. And I try to, to, to do the same thing with, with uh, my level of patience with people, my level of caring and kindness and how much I quote unquote give back. So how much time I, I choose to, to donate to charities and to, to train folks um, for, for no cash. Right. And which I, which I do. Um, so like, that's, you know, that's me. Like, so one is being my best, right. Like, but, but having really specific measurements of like what that is, right. Performing at an optimal level. Um, two is having a real joy and wonder for life. Right. Like, so uh, that goes into being my best too, but I, I'm going to separate that because, you know, perspective is super important in the world that we live in today. There's a lot of, there's a lot of darkness and there's a lot of evil out there, but there's just as much good and just as much positivity and just as many people that want to see you thrive and be successful, right? Like, so, so like, I want to, like make sure I focus on those things and be joyful and be grateful and bring those those things into the world. And uh, and number three is um, I would say what's most important is um, is is touching as many folks authentically as I can. Right. Like, you know, I don't I don't want to like I don't need to to bend the world. Right. But if I can touch a couple of folks in an authentic manner and help them like in any way, help them fulfill their potential and bring out their best selves, then I know that's I know that's my my purpose. Right. Like in whatever way, if that's fitness, I say, you know, I say. And I really, I really embrace the title of of being a life coach. And I think the main the main way I do that is just by sharing my experiences. And right, you know, and there's many people that have gone through much more tragic, traumatic, and harsh things than me. But I think uh, I think when you share your your experiences, you give people the the power, the freedom to to also share their experiences and and um and live out their passion and purpose and help them find it right because i think a lot of folks are still lost uh when it comes to that right like and if you can talk openly and freely about how you navigated through whatever situations you navigated through to find your purpose i think it it helps people like with with their compass as well right so i i think those are are my three yeah, man. Three biggest things. Beautifully said. And thank you, brother. I mean, look, that last one, it radiates and you exude it. I can tell you personally, every year, the New York City Marathon comes around the corner. And I think to myself, am I going to see Simon on that Fifth Avenue stretch? And the reason I think that is because for some reason, I know when I see you, I got to put a strong face on. And anyone that knows, you know, that, that part of the race, it's probably the hardest part of the race yeah. but yeah, right around that 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 uh that 96 yep that one tip to 96 that incline yep that's going up that gradual incline that's the hardest part of the race but one of the things that i associate with that part of the race is you because of that one year where we we ran pat where i ran past you and you ran with me for a little bit and in my head you know, I don't know what you've done to me over the years, but you've wired me to want to be my strongest self. Um, and I know that if you had that impact on me, I have no doubt you're having it not only in your students, but everybody else that you're coming across. So 
I just want to say thanks, man. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for sharing everything with us. Thank you for being vulnerable um, and for laying it out. I, I have no doubt you're going to leave so many people inspired from this episode. I appreciate you, bro. Thanks for having me. And thanks for creating that space where I could, could just talk freely, man. You got it, man. Thank you for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode of the Mile 40 podcast, go ahead, subscribe, leave a review and share the word. Thank you for being a part of the Mile 40 family and let's unite in showing the world that comebacks are always greater than setbacks.